The ever-growing weight of negativity in content creation. I'm just so sad so frequently, chat. I have so much, like, rage and hate inside of me, and I have all these existential problems that cause me a lot of stress, and I don't really have an outlet for my frustrations. I'm hoping that, yeah, these blinds done, and I just have some good night's sleep, and things will be fine. One of the reasons why I've delayed doing the iceberg the video where I recap a lot of my content creator career and explain a lot of the memes is because there's a lot of things that I would want to say that could potentially bring up old dramas and stuff. Because on a lot of them, I never really felt I got to say my piece. You'll never understand what it's like to have just tens of thousands of people dislike you for completely nonsense reasons. And to see comments, people discussing you and, and saying things that you know for a fact aren't true and there's nothing you can do about it. There's this thing that people talk about how creators, like, they, they don't care about people and they just, they don't, they just see people as a crowd and all that stuff. I, I've, I've never been that way, man. Every single individual person that hates me, it, it cuts me deep. People are always gonna hate, of course. Once you reach a certain size, there's no possibility for you to completely control what people think about you or, or what have you. There's no way you can act in a way that's gonna meet everyone's particular sensibilities, but it's just, I'm just not cut out for a lot of the aspects of getting this popular, doing content creation. Opinions don't have any validity. I know. There's, but there's no amount of saying to myself, like, I know they're wrong, so what does it matter? That really changes the emotional feelings, you know? Because it's not rational, the feelings that I have. And I can explain to myself, endlessly, that they are rational feelings, it just doesn't matter. Like, I will never get over how much of a shit show that all that React drama stuff was. That I was introduced to millions upon millions of people through someone who didn't understand a single fucking word that I wrote and rambled on about how I thought reactors were rapists. You'll never understand how it feels. And everything that ensued after that. Like, I still deal with the fallout of drama from years ago and see comments about it sometimes. With those people still equally being wrong, as wrong as they were back then, and it never gets easier. It should be enough that some people out there like me. That'd be the rational thing. Just can't get over it. Do not focus on the negatives of exposure. At the end of the day, money is money. Focus on the people who do like you, listen to them. Hope you find peace, Viper. I hope so too, man. It's not about the money, Spider-Man. I wrote a community post because on Reddit, people expressed concern about me that I wasn't doing very well. I wrote a community post to somewhat reassure people, but then to also explain the issues that I was having. And I sat there for like an hour or so, maybe, not probably not two hours, but more than an hour. And I ended up writing like basically an essay about my concerns, uh, about my current circumstances and uh, what's going on in my head and, um, and whatnots and stuff that causes me stress and aggravation and all this jazz. And I looked at it all, I'm like, this is going to reassure fucking no one. <laughs> and I realized on some level, like a lot of these feelings are just because I'm not sleeping well. I fixed my sleeping issues and I get a good night's rest and I just start focusing on the next thing to do and I'll be fine. There's no reason to write all this stuff that, while true in terms of my feelings, would just concern people. And so I deleted it and uh, I left the community post that currently exists, which, you know, says, yeah, I'm not doing 100%, but you know, just give me a little bit, I'll be fine. Venting my struggles can help, yeah, but I feel like I do that too much. I do occasionally get comments where they're like, oh, this community post isn't you just complaining about stuff? Well, that's new. As I say, it's like one in a thousand, less than that, but uh, those things stick with you. I'm sure many content creators have mentioned it, how the negative comments are those that stand out the most. You appreciate the positive ones, 
you acknowledge them and you say thank you, or whatever. But the the negative ones are the ones that are truly make you shift what you're doing. It's funny though. Before I was a content creator, any potential sleep issues that I had were not all that important. If I went to work stacking fruit or whatever, or repairing hearing aids or what have you, and I wasn't a hundred percent there, who cares, right? So someone else would be potentially suffering from my lack of 100% productivity, but who cares? But now that I'm a content creator, I, I work for myself and I work to make you guys the best things that I possibly can. If I'm not 100% there, the content suffers. Your experience of what I'm making suffers. Then it becomes an issue. It can be possible that me at 50% capability or whatever is not sufficient to do what I want to do that day. And I can sit there and be like, I can maybe force myself to make this stuff today, but I'm only going to do it once. And I don't want to make the thing as 70% as good as I possibly could make it. I want to make it 100% as good as I can possibly make it. So I want to wait until I feel 100%, but I can't just keep doing that. There's only a finite amount of days where I feel 100%. And if I kept waiting for those, then I would just make far less stuff. I got to work with what I have sometimes. Users controlling multiple audio tracks on YouTube. I've always wanted some way to adjust different audio track volumes independently. Maybe the new YouTube feature will allow that eventually. I sincerely doubt that'll ever happen. It would be nice if you could upload a video where you have like one audio track for everything and another audio track for music. And so if you're a person who doesn't like the music in the video, you can turn that down. Or on the rare occasion that you find a video where the person has put the music too high and you can't understand that what they're saying, you could turn that down yourself. But there'd be so much complexity on the back end for very niche situations. And a lot of creators, artists, whatever, wouldn't like that kind of stuff. Like, why are you destroying my creation? I decide how people experience it. It's like when when Netflix was first implementing their speed increase for their platform, a lot of directors and, and people in the creative industry were like, you're destroying our creation. You know, this is, this is ass. You can't just speed up ass. And I think it's fucking crazy. You know, I'm, I'm more of a... The user should dictate how they experience the thing as opposed to the creator themselves. If the user believes that some particular method would be better for them, that's that's in their, their business and they should be allowed to do that. But as I say, anytime you want to add these kind of things, adds complexity that potentially wouldn't be, wouldn't be used by the overwhelming vast majority of people, you know? Why I am keeping my live streams unlisted in a playlist. So you can still watch them after they're done, you just have to go to the playlist. It is true that YouTube has updated the layout so that videos, shorts, and live stuff is separated. But I'm still probably not going to have my live videos be public. I don't make the titles and thumbnails particularly provocative. And so I'm concerned that that content will disadvantage me in the algorithm, like my other stuff. But also, those videos would to some degree compete with the edited content that comes from those live streams. Like when those live streams are all that you're doing, it makes sense for them to be public and be presented to bring in an audience, but that's not the only thing that I'm doing. YouTube wants ads everywhere. Do you know YouTube has been putting ads on videos on content creators that are below 500 subs? That doesn't surprise me, and it's probably not worth a lot of money. YouTube, like any company, wants to grow every single year. And even if they do just as well as last year, that can be seen as a failure. So now they're trying to monetize the platform as much as possible without uh, disrupting the user experience. I mean, they've always been doing this. 
but it's just like they're going to continuously need to do this every single year to grow. And so I can't tell you exactly what they're doing, but like every single day there'll be a, a meeting being like, where can we stick ads so that we can get more money without people leaving the platform? And of course, someone at some point is like, what about all those videos that are not monetized because they're not in the partner program? Why don't we put ads on those? And someone's like, oh yeah, good idea. And they did. It's going to be interesting to see how much of the changes to the Chromium browser are actually going to affect ad blocking programs. Clearly, people at YouTube and or Google are looking at that like, that is currently our biggest battle to find a way to get these people to stop using ad blockers and to watch ads. They're already doing their thing where they're using algorithms to try to find how many ads they can show people without pissing them off and getting them off platform. Who knows how successful they're being at that, I don't know. I actually use YouTube Premium, so. I guess ad blockers will find a way around it. It is a service that people want, and therefore, unless it's outright illegal, and even then actually, there's going to be someone providing it in some capacity. But obviously, the more barriers to achieving that ends, the less people will seek about achieving it. If indeed Chromium just makes ad blocking impossible, I guess Google is just banking on the idea that uh, not an, a significant amount of people will change to something else and will just accept it. I don't know. We'll see. I don't think um, YouTube Premium is 16 USD. I think that's like a family plan or something for like five people. Can you guys look up right now how much YouTube Premium is for you and then just like say your region? It's a huge variance we're getting here. Seemingly circling around like 12 USD. The thing is, if you bought premium a long time ago and never got rid of your monthly payments, you're still on that cheaper payment. So there are some people paying, what did it release at, like $7 or something. As I said in Rambles, it's just like the most convenient way to never have to deal with ads on every platform that you use YouTube on without having to install different apps and worry about whether some new patch or something or uh, some decision's gonna cause you the ads again. You don't have to worry about that. But also I compare it to like any other plan that I have with like Netflix or Stan or Disney Plus or whatever. I watch astronomically more YouTube than I watch those platforms. It's not even close. I might watch like one thing on Netflix a month where I use YouTube every single day for many hours. When talked about in terms of those value terms, it, it's a no-brainer, except you know, we aren't comparing no access to access because, again, you have the option available right now of ad block and still having access. But you don't have that option with Netflix. You can't just download an ex extension and get access to Netflix, you know. The reason why YouTube Premium costs different amounts is that it is weighted to be equal to the cost of living in wherever you are, right? Why stay in Australia if I can move anywhere? Considering that you can live anywhere in the world to do your work, have you ever considered moving to other countries? Without sufficient reason to move somewhere, like significant advantages that are obvious and communicated to you, you just won't. Because I like what's familiar to me, and anywhere else I go would require me to learn about the area and, and different things and whatnot and take upon risk upon myself that things wouldn't work out, I get stuck somewhere or I'd run afoul of a, a government somewhere or, or what have you. I would have to, you know, I couldn't use the same kind of systems I'm using here. I have to get like a new accountant and all that jazz. Like 
it would just be a huge hassle. It is extraordinarily unlikely that business-wise, I happen to have been born and live in the place that is most optimal for my particular business. But at the same time, I'm not particularly interested in uprooting my entire life and hoping that I find somewhere better. What I'm doing now, where I live now, is clearly working for what I need. And so I don't want to ruin that. It must be cool to be born in such a cool country that you never have to think about moving. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, I got very fortunate to be born into you know, one of the most prosperous countries in the world. I wouldn't say the best area of the country, but a good one at that middle-classy kind of stuff. Because obviously, it's not like Australia is perfect for everyone in every area. Every country has its uh, worse parts or people born into disadvantageous circumstances. But clearly, I, I got lucky in that respect. Trying to make YouTube memberships more appealing. I definitely am looking into more ways to inspire people to um, become members on YouTube. Because on Twitch, I didn't really have a lot of avenues available to me. But YouTube, I kind of do in terms of giving people early access to my videos and whatnot. There's just a few hurdles that I'm still waiting to uh, get over. Because I need my thumbnail maker to have access to my videos early, but he can't get memberships because he's in Pakistan. So if I set the videos to membership only, he wouldn't be able to see them. And like, I don't know exactly when he's going to be looking at the video to make the thumbnail. I can't just, it'd be annoying to have him contact me every single time to set it to unlisted. And that would disrupt the members access to it as well, because it would no longer show up uh, on my channel page. It would be very annoying. Additionally, there is no current option to set something to membership scheduled. So like, what I would like is the second that I upload the video and set it to membership, that I can set when I want the video to release still. So it's like, be membership only for a week and then release to the public on X date. And that isn't available right now. Is it more profitable to have Twitch subscribers or YouTube members? It's the same. Well, it's actually not going to be for much longer. When did Twitch say they were getting rid of the 70-30 split? So right now I have a 70-30 split on Twitch and a 70-30 split on YouTube in regards to memberships. Obviously not everyone has the 70-30 split on Twitch. It was available to like, you know, less than, let's say, 5,000 people. I happen to be one of them. But they're removing that, and at that point, it will be more profitable to have memberships on YouTube as opposed to Twitch. But Twitch memberships have greater value than YouTube memberships, because on Twitch, you can use the emotes on anyone's live stream. You also don't get ads if you're a, if you're a paying subscriber on Twitch. What is the 70-30 split? 70-30 means I get 70% of the money and YouTube gets 30. A pre-roll ad is an ad that plays before you start watching the thing. It's funny, often when I'm watching my rambles, I realize I will talk about concepts and not really explain them, expecting that everyone understands them, when that's often not the case. I, I would like to do like a poll or something on my community tab and be like, hey, how often when watching my videos do I reference things that you don't really understand? But you want me to get the money, not YouTube? I mean, honestly, a 70-30 split is pretty fair. What YouTube does is not insignificant. Especially on Twitch, where, like, the mechanisms for recommendations and stuff was garbage. And, like, on, on Twitch, like, they didn't even keep your VODs forever, right? They deleted them. On YouTube, they're storing your videos forever. And they're actively working to find you an audience with all the content that you're making. YouTube is not doing something insignificant for me. Like, sure, I like a reality where I'm getting 100% of the money as well, but YouTube is earning their money as far as I'm concerned. 
And like, you wouldn't have found me or this stream or my content if it wasn't for YouTube actively actively promoting it to you guys. I'm doing my best to uh, get YouTube to add additional features and stuff. It's just YouTube is so much bigger than Twitch. They've got a lot more concerns than uh, adding such minuscule features that only a handful of people will potentially use. The struggles of Meta and the Metaverse. Thoughts on the Metaverse tanking? The technology just isn't there. I'm not saying it can't be there, but it's not there. Everything that Meta seems to have made has been not that great. It's whole thing where they're like, those, you've got those me's and stuff where it's just like a, a, a terrible animated version of yourself without legs and whatnot. It just seems so pathetic considering the investment that they put into it. They've got to be terrified for when Apple releases their VR stuff, because that's obviously going to work the best with Apple products. And the main reason Facebook was in such dire straits to begin with was Apple being like, oh, you can't take our users' data anymore, Facebook. We'll take users' data, but not you. VR still seems cool, but inaccessible for the vast majority of people. The experience that you can get is not worth the hassle of doing it. People will buy it as a novelty and then try it out and be like, oh, this is cool, and then just never use it because it's it's just too much of a hassle for the for the experience that you get. In the same way that I've got a massage chair downstairs, and when I first bought it, I was using it every day, and then every second day, then every third day, and then like once a week, then once a month, and I don't think I've been on it for like two months, and that's the same way that most people are with VR. Same way I was when I got VR. So, like For some people, that's not the case. They, they're really involved in all that stuff, but it just takes a lot to do, you know? Facebook stocks 73% collapse makes it the S&P 500's worst performer in 2022. What was interesting to me is I didn't know that Mark Zuckerberg owned 55% of Facebook. Like he could have sold off his stake for ridiculous amounts of money when Facebook was at its peak. But he's just like, nope, I want to do whatever the fuck I want. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> I don't like the dude, Jay Norris as we call him, but uh, it shows that he does legitimately care for or at least like the power that Facebook gives him. And he was more interested in that power and influence than the money. He probably believes in this meta thing. I don't really think the money he's invested has uh, gone enough of a way to make it justified, let alone for the 73% stock price to uh, be worth what he's made so far. But who knows what the future will bring? Of course, Apple limiting the user information that went to Facebook, I think largely forced Zuckerberg's hand. He probably recognized that Facebook always being reliant upon outside people meant that at any time, you know, a different company could just cut a hose and uh, Facebook would crash and burn, which kind of what ha happened when Apple did that. Like Facebook wants to be in a position that Apple is, their own ecosystem that they control. Who knows if they'll get there though. Be sure to like and subscribe. Also leave a comment if you have something on your mind. My feed gives them to me from all over my channel. It doesn't matter how old the video is. I wish you all the best.